0: This is the New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. I'm Matt Pegas. and, and this I'm, is Dan Volte, and uh, we're here today uh, with Matt Forney, uh, the editor in chief of Terror House. Uh, to Thanks the for thanks,
1: thanks, thanks for having <laughs> me on, guys. You know, it's it's uh, been a long time coming, especially given given how you've uh, hyped this hyped this uh, podcast up to me, Matt, for a while now. <laughs> Yeah, but I think you. Guys, I think you guys are doing good work.
0: Well, appreciate Thank that. You, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely. Um, I think when when Dan and I first were like when we we've been kind of playing the podcast for a while since before Dragon Day, since before my book came out, but um, only got very serious. Like we were, once we were getting near to actually releasing an episode, I was like, it wasn't so much that I was trying to hype it. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with hyping it. Like, yeah, we do want to hype the podcast and make everyone listen, but like also. It was kind of just because I felt that our mission with the podcast in terms of covering whatever you want to call it, uh, dissident literature, the literature of the faction of the truth, whatever, you know, frog Twitter literature, whatever you want to call it, our our goal in covering that, I feel like, uh, I don't think it clashes with Terror House's goal at all. I think they're complementary because we're just a podcast and you're a publisher, you know, with a podcast. Nevertheless, the the goals are are similar. So I, I just was like... Rather than having definitely. this be cut, something that came out of nowhere, I wanted to be like, let you know, like we're 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 getting in on this space too, so to speak. Um, but they're but, uh, coming
1: in and muscling into my territory. I
0: exa- well, like I that. hope I hope you don't feel that way. But uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, obviously Terror House and you, Matt, have you know done a lot for me in terms of publishing my book, uh, and so like definitely. Grateful to you and grateful to you for coming on. Um, you know, you're one, obviously on our, our list of, like, top guests we wanted to get on right away. Yeah, you were right up there, so good to finally have you on.
1: It's great. I'm looking I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to the discussion.
0: Yeah. Um, awesome. And I guess maybe the best place to start it... So, Matt, obviously you're, again, editor-in-chief of Terror House. Mm, I'm guessing almost everyone listening to this knows about Terror House, but nevertheless... Um, do you want to just go ahead, in case anyone isn't familiar, you want to just go ahead and give the rundown of, of what sort of Terror House is when you started it uh, and the, the mission statement?
1: No problem. Uh, Terror House Press, um, we formally started publishing books in 2019, but I launched a Terror House magazine in 2018, um, I just describe it as outsider literature because there's a lot of labels going around like alt-lit, transgressive-lit, et cetera. And no no disrespect to anyone who uses those labels, but I don't know. I, I'm not looking for a particular aesthetic. Basically, Terror House is a, a voice for writers who've been ignored by the mainstream. You know, Writers whose works are too honest, too graphic, too out there to get a hearing in, uh, in, uh, mainstream culture. And, and also for the writers who can't get a hearing among, uh, you know, I don't know what they're calling themselves. These days safer lit, woke lit, whatever, you know, as it turns right. out, as it turns out anything of alt in the title, is just is destined to be a disaster. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we, we're, we're not, we're not fans of them either, but basically, you know, we're here to kind of, how do I say this without sounding too pretentious, Can kind I of democratize the whole process of, mm. of publishing and get, uh, you know, new and exciting voices out there. Uh, I kind of had the idea, well, I've, I've always been, always been, I guess, a literally inclined person. You know, I read a lot when I was in high school, I majored, I, I majored in uh, English at mm. college, you know, and I've been blogging and writing in some form or another since uh, publicly since 2009, uh, but my ambition wasn't to be a political pundit or a podcaster or a live streamer or whatever. Like, I wanted to write novels. I wanted to write short stories. Um, in fact, I'm actually writing a, a poetry collection right. now. That's uh, that's, cool. that's that's uh, that's slow going, but it will be out eventually. Uh, but with, with Terror House specifically, I kind of got the idea around 2017. Um, if you remember uh, Flu Land, which was a right. very popular... Yeah. Uh, very popular literary magazine that kind of they were hugely popular because they kind of brought all of these different strands together kind of like the more apolitical literary types frog twitter types you know the you know the anons etc like they all went into you know land. and uh, and they published some really really great work um a lot of uh a lot of writers we know like uh you know calvin westra or uh james newlook also published yeah. with land. Uh, Fluland, uh, you know, was uh, taken down in uh, late uh, 2017 due to a, a stalking campaign against the uh, guy who ran it because he was um, he was accused, among other things, of secretly being uh, being Andrew Anglin, among other things. Um, <laughs> it was really it was both it was both really bizarre and kind of disgusting. Um, but I followed Fluland and, uh, you know, a few other literary sites. And uh, around Christmas of that year, I got an email from uh Richard Power. Richard Power is probably best known to terror house audiences as the author of our flagship title, Letters from a Heartbroken Pervert. He had written uh some articles for my site years ago like around 2015 and he was like, "Oh, I've written this kind of memoir novel, you know, I'm kind of tossing around ideas for a title, Confessions of a Despicable Beta or Letters from a Heartbroken Pervert." And I don't want to have any kind of online profile. Would you be willing to publish it? I trust you because, you know, you're a smart guy. You know, you've, you, you have good taste. You know, you're a writer yourself. You've published your own books, So you would know how to market the book effectively. So he sent me that email and it got me to thinking. It's like, why don't I start a publishing company and I'll make this the flagship title? because it would be kind of a kind of a natural outgrowth of things I want to do with things I'm good at. You know, like I said, you know, I've always been more interested in the literature side of things. You know, I wanted to, well, at that time, the whole idea of being like a pundit or an e-celebrity e-celebrity was kind of dying. I mean, that year I had more or less, I had quasi retired from, from online writing and stuff and was, uh and had to work a real job for the first time in years. And um mm-hmm. So there wasn't much of a future in that, but there was a future, you know, in terms of uh, accomplishment and art, and uh, financially, in terms of uh, publishing, uh, literary publishing, and also um, I had self-published my own books over the past few years, so I knew the process of how to market. Right. I knew the process of editing, et cetera. Um, so I wrote back and was like, "Hey, yeah." Um, how would you like to be the flagship title of, of new, a new, new publishing company? And the name tear house comes from the fact that I lived in Budapest, Hungary at the time. And, um, I was kind of, I was thinking along the lines of eh, there's, the name should probably be something Hungarian. I don't know why, just to pay homage to this, to this vomit filled city that I live in. <laughs> and, uh, I was walking around and I was walking past uh, the terror Haza, which is a major uh, landmark in downtown Hungary. It's, um, uh, it was famously used as the headquarters of the fascist AeroCross party during uh, before and during World War II. And then after World War II, it became the headquarters of the AVH, the Hungarian Communist Secret Police. Now it's a museum. It was like, Terror House, uh, House of Terror, Terror House. It's it's a, a nice homage to Hungary. It's catchy. It gets in people's minds. You know, Terror House. It just rolls right off the tongue. So that was where that was where the name came from. And since then, you know, we've been... We've been publishing daily over at Terror House magazine and we've putting out one to two books a month at Terror House Press. It's been working out it's it's been working out far better than even I thought it would.
0: Yeah, no, I mean I've heard uh Delicious Tacos say this about you and about Terror House, and I obviously agree that I mean it, by all accounts it seems like it was a kind of brilliant business move to go you know, go from you know, you're talking about the the, the you know, the last sort of ember dying embers of the of the dissident right or the alt right as it was called back then uh, in like 2017 2018 that as you said the kind of being a pundit thing was going down it was kind of sort of black blackpilled time so to speak a bit but it was there was still this energy there's a certain creative energy and what terror house does is it kind of channels uh creative energy from sort of online as you said sort of outsider type creatives so it's like I think you got into something at a really good time. But from the sound of the story, uh not that there's anything wrong with being calculated, but it doesn't necessarily sound like you were exactly like calculated, like this is what's gotta happen now, I'm gonna like make money. Uh it's more like it was kind of like a, a happy string of uh uh coincidences and happy string of events that, that that, led you to where you are now. Um Yeah, I mean
1: it wasn't you know, I I I'm not a very I mean I wanna sound um, I'm not a very profit motive person. I mean, Terra House could probably make me a lot more money if I was. Um, My criteria when I sign books and publish works is, is it good? Is it interesting? It doesn't even necessarily have to be something I'd be interested in personally, because running Terra House has really expanded my, my, uh, what I like and what I can, I can get into. You know, there's, there's a, there's a this is something i had experience with i you know i worked for websites such as return of kings and Write on and tacky's magazine mm. and uh, you know i've also been in an editorial position in various websites in the past you know like for example uh, for a while return of kings had a video game offshoot website called reaction that i was the editor of mm. so i had a, i had a bit of experience in this department when you're in an editorial position as opposed to the position of being a, a reader you kind of have to broaden on your perspective, as it were. Like, say for example, before I I started Terror House, I really didn't read poetry at all. I didn't care for it. I I didn't have anything against it. It's just not something that I specifically went and sought out. And now I read, and now I'm running my own poetry, yeah. you know, yeah. volume. You know, and this comes after um close to four years now, just reading a lot of poetry intensely, not just the stuff both published on terror house but on other websites like expats and misery tourism etc uh but you know uh i it's a combination of hard work uh, not just on my part but also the people who've worked with us over the years you know uh, if you're familiar with Glon, he's kind of a well-known figure in the uh in the literary i guess uh d- distant right series like at the vent the center of the vent diagram about that he was a major asset in the beginning because he was able to solicit uh contributions from a lot of cool people um we obviously have matt lawrence who's our, our fantastic art director he makes all those books look really really fantastic and he does the internal layouts as well you know we've got great people like uh danny who's our uh translator and uh the magazine editor calvin westra was a uh, part of the mm-hmm. site when we got started you know we've got uh, my my podcast co-host Brian proctor so like a ton of, and of course the writers themselves because the writers you know we wouldn't be anything about the writers but you know i i don't view terror house as an ideological project right. i'm not trying to push like a like a, a particular viewpoint i'm, I'm just absolutely t- tired of people who think like that to be honest um i'm just I, I would just simplify like this. I just want to read good shit. You know, the yeah. government, the corporations have taken everything else from me. I just want to be able to read entertaining <laughs> shit, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to be able to help writers who write that entertaining shit get noticed. You know, that's, that's, I don't think I'm asking for a whole lot here.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, awesome. We, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah we've yeah. mentioned before that um, it's almost as though you are. Ideological—not you personally, but anyone who writes honest fiction, because it can't be published in the traditional publishing industry. So it's almost a political act just to want to write good fiction.
1: Yeah, in a sense. I mean, I've 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 written about this to a certain extent. I mean, um, you know, writers like Mark Ames use the term "beiges" to kind of describe the mainstream—the sort of the sort of bland, PC kind of quasi. Almost quasi Christian in, in some ways. You look at writers like, say, James Fry, you know, or anything that kind of gets popular, anything that's popularized by Oprah, something oh. like Jonathan Franzen or whoever. <laughs> um, or a more recent example, um, did I, did I have I ever you seen the movie Cuck? No, <laughs> oh, I have actually. I didn't see yeah.
0: it. I. Should I guess or not? Nah, not. <laughs> it's it's not it's not super interesting, but
1: that's a recent example of what I was talking about. I reviewed it when it came out. You know, it came out the same day Joker did a couple of years ago. And I reviewed it when it came out and I just said, This book this movie is basically like a liberal version of those Calvinist morality tales that like yeah. hardcore Christians would tell uh, their kids to warn them from the dangers of sin. Like, there's no real difference between it, something like it, and uh, what's what's that movie? Christian movie, Fireproof, um, the evangelical one. I mean, sure, yeah, Cuck has got like nudity and swear words, you know. But the purpose is the same. It's about propagandizing. It's about warning someone, people, about the dangers of sin. The sin in this case is i guess being a straight white male i mean there are a ton of other problems with that movie but that's like the underlying thing there's no humor in it there's no there's no it's it's just it's just bathos ridiculous bathos and it's funny but it doesn't intend to be funny it's yeah. funny in like a you know a tommy wiseau kind of way funny yeah. um True. and that's something i just can't stand whether it comes from the left or the right you know when you're when you're at when you're Obviously, people are going to infuse their perspective into their writing. It's not possible to be like some kind of detached drone. But you shouldn't be trying to. You shouldn't be didactic. That's the word. I hate didacticism. Yeah. It makes for bad writing. You should be strive to be entertaining. You should be strive to have something to say. Uh, you should not be trying to lecture your. You should not be trying to lecture the audience. And that's basically what the the mainstream does. That's what beigeism is. It's 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 Flannery O'Connor's Church of Christ about Christ, and that's part of what why me and many other people just find it disgusting, and why sites like Terror House are able to thrive in this environment.
0: No, that makes a, a lot of sense. I think that's where we talk about Terror House's mission and the mission of uh, of New Right and of our podcast. I think that's that's basically the overlap. We're not political. We're not politically motivated per se, um, but we're trying to make literature that cuts through, or, you know, we're trying to, in our case, trying to promote literature that cuts through and cuts around all that, uh, bullshit. Um, so I see, us literature that's
2: able to be honest, exactly to speak about things honestly without kowtowing to a political agenda. And, um, it just so happens that it, it has to be outsider literature today that, that does that. In my opinion,
0: yeah, yeah, the the notion of of honesty and even though, like what BAP sometimes calls what uh, you know the, the, if you want to call it the dissident writer frog Twitter, but uh, fa- I've heard this term faction of truth get kicked around, which seems a little bit over like a little cocky, like you're so sure you're on the side of truth. But when it comes to like recognizing basic realities and not again as as Matt was saying, always being didactic and peddling a certain ideology and a certain like moral a sort of morality tale. Uh, then the notion of a a faction of the, a faction of truth, I think makes more sense because it's, it's not even so much about a positive set of beliefs. It's about simply not buying into, I guess, the mainstream narrative.
1: The word I like to use in this, in these situations is uh, for similitude or ethos is another good word, just the kind of truth that sort of cuts past, you know, surface, the surface, um, similitude is just a quality that can't be faked and this is especially appropriate since you know you said you wanted to talk about the manosphere 2 literature pipeline right this was something that um was very important back during the manosphere days when you had all these guys who were anonymous but they were writing about their experiences with women etc right you could tell you know if you had a good bullshit detector you could tell who was being honest and who was full of shit basically now an intelligent person a a con man a narcissist can fool someone to a certain extent over a period of time but it's impossible to keep that up over time little details start you know cropping up you know the mask eventually slips um it's the writing that had it's the writers that had that first similar to the quality you can't fake you have to you have to earn it you have to have it you can't pretend to have it uh on online or in the real world um mm-hmm. and that's the approach i take when that's the approach i've always taken as a reader that's the approach i've always taken uh in my capacity as a publisher you know my my one of my favorite writers of all time is louis ferdinand uh Celine. um you know pretty much all the literature i like that came after sling was influenced in Influenced by him in some fashion, you know, Welbeck, uh, Henry uh, Henry Miller, uh, Charles Bukowski, Allen Ginsberg, uh, Jack Kerouac. You know, Celine is someone who is not would not fit neatly into you know if he was still alive today, he he, he would not fit neatly into a left or a right wing paradigm, and he would be perfectly fine with that. You know, he was a he was a fascist who openly supported the Vichy French uh, regime, but his books were not like some some star- starchy conservative oh we should we should avoid swear words of sex now his yeah. books got into the deep at the darkness of it just the just the raw reality of the french working class with the slang and the ellipses and the and the and the fantastic fant- fantastical elements you know like celine's writing was was once described as creative confessions in which he basically took, Incidences, for he took he took his own life experiences, but he made them he made himself look worse. He made himself look more pathetic, more funny. Um, he exaggerated things in the same way that you know a friend telling you a, about a story that happened to you might exaggerate, but right. it the, the, but the truth of it is still there. The core of it is still there. The verisimilitude, even if some of the details are a little are a little fudged. That's the important quality that I think we should be aiming. We, uh, that's the quality, at least I try to aim for as a writer, and that's the quality I look for in other writers.
0: No, certainly, and um, I'm not saying that my that Dragon Day, the book I published through Terror House, is 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 uh, totally on that level. But uh, that's certainly what I tried to do. You know, or I, I think I, I'm you know proud of the extent to which I succeeded that in that with my book is sort of taking elements of humiliation or. Or a sense of shame, or whatever the case might be, that I'd felt in my life, and I weave it into a pretty dark narrative. So that's me plugging my book shamelessly, but nevertheless, it is a Terror House title. So I'm also plugging. You can buy it. Yes, you should buy my book, uh, but you should buy other books from Terror House as well, uh, which espouse that quality. I only brought it up because um, it did come to mind. I mean, that's I think I, I agree. You know, I haven't read as much Celine as I would as I would like. Um, but I've read a lot of Welbeck, and, and I basically agree with you, Matt, that that sort of quality that you get in Celine, that you get in Welbeck, of um, sort of leaning into those, uh, you know, exaggerating a bit, but but leaning into those um, elements—the that you know the, the I'm trying to think of the best word—the the real dirt and shit of life, you know. Um, leaning into that and writing about that and finding the truth in that in a way that writers in the manosphere did when they're writing about getting laid or not getting laid, in the way that Delicious Tacos uh, writes about you know when he's writing about sex, but also about you know various hypochondria and other other sort of issues he's faced. Um, Explosive
1: cysts in his ass. Exactly.
0: It's all it's about leaning it rather than the didactic morality tales that one gets in the mainstream uh increasingly that that is what mainstream movies and books are it's about uh you know it it seems like it's like the least conservative thing ever but like there are people with certain conservative and right-wing values for whom i think that access to truth that comes from writing about this kind of these kind of dirty topics again about bukowski you know memoirs of a dirty man or whatever his book is called um that that's kind of like the beating pulse of like what what good literature especially in this specific moment in like cultural history uh you know is
1: yeah well Hulbeck's probably the best modern example of that you know hold Hulbeck, has been interviewed about this and you know he's written about some you know pretty politically charged stuff you know he, he wrote submission which was right, hypothesizing right. about yeah, the takeover of france I have not read that. Uh, yet, unfortunately, um, I hear it's good. It's uh, good. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of his earlier work. You know, whatever atomized mm-hmm. um, platform. Uh, and Wahlberg once said in an interview that uh, the main reason he's not a reactionary is just that he feels that there's no way to kind of turn back, turn back what's happened in society. Yeah. No, he writes. He he writes about how. He, capitalism or late stage capitalism or neoliberalism or whatever you want to call it has been extended to relationships between men and women which has created entire tranches of uh you know winners and losers and also has uh resulted in some pretty dysfunctional behavior you know, like platform is essentially about sex tours yeah. southeast asia or whatever it is you know you've got the main character who's you know, been incel for years and his hobby is writing all these weird philosophical stories with uh starring uh, about animals and then he gets <laughs> teamed up at work with like this hideously ugly virgin and like oh yeah we're gonna go kill these guys on the beach but you know the the, the virgin whips out and then he gets hit by a car you <laughs> right know, it's, right it's it's, yeah. it's, it's not it's not something it's something that both your average, you know, left wing PC pages and your average right wing conservative would find really offensive. But that's in part because it strikes like the fundamental heart of what's going on, what's going on with society.
0: Right. No, I remember uh, we did a show, our first show titled The Manosphere to Literature Pipeline. And that, there's talk that we may call this conversation, the Manosphere to Literature Pipeline, part two, depending on how it goes. It definitely is operative <clears throat> in, in the conversation we're having, I think. But in our first episode, I kind of um, uh, reflecting on the writings of Hartiste uh, and how kind of what you said earlier, like when people write about sex and write about getting laid and, and attraction, like that is a good um, sort of litmus test for how honest and how brutally honest you can be. And I do that and the sort of the quote unquote male gaze and your sort of the access that your libido gives you um, as a sort of access uh, you have to a sort of radical honesty and a way of looking and i think that can extend out to not just writing about sex or women but you can kind of start to view the world in that way and i think that gives you an access to a certain truth and also gives you a certain access to uh, the filth of the world shall we speak you know or so to speak um which is something not to go off on too much of a tangent but um You know, there's that, you've read Bronze Age Mindset, of course, and there's that, in in the last chapter, you know, uh, BAP advocates that people sort of look into the, you know, the dark corners of the world, like we need to be acquainted with the, with the underground and with with the filth of things, I I believe is how he puts it. Have you ever made that connection between that, I don't know, that section in Bronze Age Mindset and and the sort of literary matters Uh... we're talking about?
1: Not explicitly, but I think that's something I just kind of instinctively know, know. you' right. that you're the first person to really really articulate it but it's but it's but it's the truth you know it's the, the the problem with the problem of a lot of writers, the problem of a lot of people in general today is that we live in a very sanitized era we have a very it it, it, it doesn't make any sense to describe it like this but we're what we, we simultaneously live in the most uh prudish and most Degenerate era possible, right, yeah. In the sense that uh, you know, you've got you know, you've got uh, critical race theory. You've got drag queens sweet stories to kids. You've got ethical slut them. You've got every other woman's got an only fans account. Mm. Yeah, everything's governed by by rules. People get prissy and uptight over certain types of words. Don't misgender me, this or that. Um, you know, it's. It, 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 you know you can't you know even even with all this you know this filth going on 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 the internet you know you it's the internet is far more censored than it was 10 or 20 years ago you know like something like goatsy would be completely unconceivable today um how you know you've got uh, so many anons on twitter you know who just get regularly banned for no reason um so it's it's my friend Backlof kind of described it. It's like corporations are trying to move us towards demolition man, basically a world in which there's no, there's no physicality. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no risk to anything. It's like, Oh, sex only occurs through VR headsets. Everyone eats Taco Bell. And if you swear, you get, you get immediately you get fined for disturbing the peace. That's the kind of world we're heading, we're heading towards, but it's not, you know, this was something that was, uh, you know, it was claimed from like the '80s and '90s that like Christian conservatives would lead us to that kind of world, and that world has happened. But it's not being led by like evangelicals; it's being led by progressives. It's being led by people who consider themselves to be on the right side of history. You know, it was like nobody cares about Christian conservatives anymore. They're a completely ignored force. But uh, you can get in absolute uh, trouble for not mouthing the 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 PC the PC orthodoxies, which uh, which change on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's an it's an never ending holiness spiral, but there's no guts, there's no reality to it. There's no there, there's no life. There's no vitality. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that that's something that Bronze Age Pervert has kind of kind of railed against. And to kind of go back to uh you know Artiste or Royce, as he used to be known in the good old days. Um his writing and the the writing of a lot of the you know the manuscript greats had that vitality it was not and, and it wasn't even necessarily guys like uh like the whole manuscript thing yeah it got associated with the the pickup culture and yeah there was a lot of talk about picking up women how to pick up women etc but a lot of it was just guys trying to figure out how the world worked you know guys who you know we use the blue pill, red pill metaphors, and frankly, it's a I I I'm kind of annoyed and just sick of all the pill metaphors. <laughs> right. But it was, but there was, but, but there was, but there was a truth to it. It was just guys who, you know, were you know, average guys coming together. Who's like, okay, how does this work? You know, we were lied to about this. Um, this is how things really go. Um, you start out with uh you, you start on that process with women, you know, you We all got told by our boomer parents that like, you know, yeah, you know, just just be nice to a girl. Just, you know, just, you know, et cetera, which is, you know, the dating equivalent of like, yeah, of being told that get a job. I just walk in and hand in your resume or some some nonsense like that. Um, And it had no applicability to our lives at all. It's like being nice to a girl and just showing up would not have gotten you late. It won't get you late today. It certainly wouldn't have gotten you late back in 2006. Um, So you figure out what's going on there. And then you start thinking about other things, you know, which I won't get into on this show. On this, uh, right now. Anyway. <laughs> no, what certainly. Do you Think yeah.
2: about the, the manosphere um, and uh, that type of writing. What do you think it is about that that translates so well to um, writing in general? And you know, obviously, tacos emerged from the manosphere. What uh, What current do you think uh, he was tapping into?
1: Well I, had an, I, well, I had an English teacher um, back in high school who described it like this. It's like all literature, all writing, all art comes down to one of two themes, sex and death. Human beings are obsessed with sex, you know, even gussy up with marriage, having kids, whatever. But it all comes down to sex if you want, if you just reduce it down to its core components. And then there's death, mortality, the fear of dying, the fear of the afterlife. You know, if you're a Christian, the fear of, of punishments and uh in hell, you know, if you want to go back to Augustine's Confessions or something like that, um, and the Manosphere was, you know, it was sex. That was that was the angle that the Manosphere was going. Into. That was some, that was the angle that someone like Hartiste uh, was going into. You know, writing about, uh, you know, I, this requires a bit more elaboration, just because uh, Artiste uh, his writing arc career went through several stages. Um, <laughs> I. when he was going by the name of D.C., and he mainly just kind of wrote about uh you know uh uh he he wrote about his experiences meeting women you know he did give advice and it was uh you know and it was and it was actionable advice but I lord into it because um and this this is another funny uh funny wraparound to the manuscript literature pipeline uh there was a Pretty popular blog in the two thousands called Two Blowhards, it's, uh, run by these kind of older right wing guys in the uh, New York art sphere who, um, maybe not super right wing, but they were all like, yeah, we like hearing dis- dissenting opinions. You know, this stuff is interesting. We're just looking for cool stuff. So their their blog was kind of like a like a hub for all this. And I discovered Royce, I discovered Hartiest when they linked to one of his blog posts one day. You know, so like. Because they're you got these old guys who are writing about you know um, what's going on at MoMA or whatever, and mm-hmm. and then they also would link to Royce. He was like, yeah, this guy is uh, he's interesting. Um, and it's funny. I actually became friends with a lot of the guys who ran that blog. It's it's retired now. I think they stopped in 2010. Uh, but uh, and I was hooked from, from Royce just on the basis of he was just an insanely good writer back then. Like like his oh, yeah. writing was just you know just, just brimming with vitality, humor, et cetera. You know, it's like, and I was impressed by his output as well. Like he wrote, there's a period where he was like writing at least like every day, like every like seven days a week. It's like, he had an incredible, he had an incredible drive to just get the stuff out there. Um, The stuff about picking up women or learning how to, you know, deal with women easier. That, that was, that was very secondary for me. You know, there's a lot of uh, you know, because around this time you had uh, you know the so-called seduction community, the weebs like mystery or Neil Strauss that basically tried to uh, reduce uh, relationships down to uh, down to mathematical equations. Royce was interesting because he actually seemed like a human being, like he was a human being. You know, he wasn't he wasn't some he wasn't some fruitcake going around to rock clubs with uh, eyeliner and a uh, pure soul patch and a fruity pimp hat. He seemed like someone who maybe 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 you wouldn't necessarily maybe you wouldn't necessarily want to be his friend, but he was like an interesting figure yeah like Welbeck yeah. is not you probably wouldn't want to hang out with Welbeck he's probably not a fun person to be to be around but he's an interesting person and he's a smart guy and he's a good writer
2: yeah
0: yeah I know what you're saying um
1: but yeah, there was him. You know, there were there were there were a ton of other figures back then who were kind of uh, who are most of them are gone now. I mean, the other major figure around that time was Rouge, who's uh, right. he's still around though. He's uh, he's now a uh, he's now a devout Orthodox Christian, but he was another right. Write- he, he, he's a he's a he's a personal friend of mine. He's uh, someone who uh, you know I've I've known for about a decade now, um, and his writing was. Um, his writing also went into the same, you know, territory as uh, uh, as Royce in terms of, like, the vitality and stuff, but he was a bit more analytical and a bit more dry. Um, this is, uh, a lot of his older posts are worth reading, if you if you can find them. He's deleted a lot of his old stuff because uh, after he uh, became a devout Christian, Um but that was actually something I criticized him for with regards to the didacticism, and I, I said that to to him publicly. I'm not I'm not talking behind his back. But he wrote uh, he wrote several uh, memoirs about his life. Um, most of them I think are still available. A Dead Bat in Paraguay. I read that uh, that came out in 2009. That was a really good book. That was him talking about uh, kind of how he got started as a um, as an international traveler. You know, he got sick of. Um, He got, he got sick of his life in DC working as a microbiologist. So he saved up his money and decided he was going to go on a backpacking trip, trip across uh, South America, uh, with the intent to get laid as much as possible. And he's pretty frank about the fact that that part of it was just an utter disaster. You know, he, uh, like he, like he, like he goes, he goes through it and, uh, I don't think he gets laid and he starts in Ecuador and I don't think he gets laid until he gets to Argentina, but he also (laughs) talks about, he talks about other things like, you know, how like the food and, you know, the food poisoning just completely wrecked his health. You know, he, he, there's a lot of loving descriptions of him, you know, of all the diarrhea he had. It's just, it's, 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 it's delicious tacos-esque points, but yeah. it's, it's, it's very funny and affecting. He also goes into things like his relationship with his family, you know, et cetera. That's a good book. But a few years later, he wrote a memoir called Pussy Paradise, um, which was about his uh, experience living in Romania. He kind of achieved a, a level of like local notoriety. He was featured on local TV. You know, he was, he was dating all these girls and uh, it's not a bad book. But uh, the thing I criticized him for was that he would keep pulling the reader aside uh, whenever the action was getting good and be like, and he'd go on like some moral lesson, like some kind of depressing moral about like, yeah, I mean, I'm just doing this because, uh, you know, I don't feel anything inside, I'm addicted to sex. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, it's been ages yeah. since I read the book. But basically, instead of letting like his uh, experiences get the point across, he would like tell his experiences. And that's mm. a cardinal sin in writing or any kind of art. You're yeah. supposed to show, not tell. Um, in fact, there's one really the best part of that book is uh near the end. He's like hooking up with this girl and like he's invented like this sex potion out of some bullshit he had in his fridge. And it's out, it's it's he he thinks it's bullshit, the girl thinks it's bullshit, but she goes along anyway because she wants to be seduced. She wants to be, she wants the illusion, you know, she wants she doesn't want reality. She wants magic, as uh, Tennessee Williams might put it. Um, that was a really good part of that book. Um, and if the rest of the book had been like that, it would have been a lot better. But like, Roosh was a big influence back then. You know, there. Were, you know, obviously I was around running under a pseudonym. You had guys like Matt Lawrence as well. And there's a bunch of others who are, who are no longer around.
0: Hmm. No, it's interesting. I Just to sort of complete the thought about the Manosphere to Literature Pipeline idea. Yeah, I mean... It, again, it's not as if you necessarily went into terror, you know, um, invented terror house as, with the idea of this being like a feather in the cap of the, you know, the, you know, former manosphere. But it really feels like the trajectory of your career as a writer, Matt, has kind of ended up that way. Same with delicious tacos, you know, and even this, maybe not so much the same with Royce because the literary element of his writing was always there, but in the way that he's remembered... Like, Dan and I read, uh, I, you know, I read his entire book, uh, the, the book that he has, uh, that Royce has on Amazon. I don't know if it's him personally or... If, I, hope, I hope it's not it's, someone... Go on. It's not It's not him. <laughs> so I probably, you oh, know, helped someone. Oh, we
2: gave yeah, someone else some money.
0: <clears throat> which is unfortunate, but I did enjoy reading it. Um, and it wasn't to learn seduction techniques. It was because I read it as literature, basically. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: well, a lot of that advice really isn't, really isn't relevant anymore. I mean, the whole... I mean, the, the whole seduction community was sort of wedded to the manosphere in a sense, but not really. But that whole culture of like, yeah, like, you know, neg this HB5 to get her in bed. And, you know, like, here's the here's the here's the three stages of seduction. And here's like the 10 sub stages. That was a very a lot of guys deluded themselves. into thinking because they read evolutionary psychology and they thought that that was how things always were. You know, we're just going back to our caveman roots. This is women like women, women do like dominant men, but you know, a lot of the stuff they, they talked about was not the product of some immutable human nature. It was the product of the culture of the nineties and like the two thousands. You know, that was a period in which, you know, it was no longer the free love era. You know, you guys could no longer get laid by walking out the door. You know, no one was doing it in the road anymore. But at the same time, we were all kind of in, unmoored from traditional traditional dating mores, as it were. It was more difficult in terms of uh, like the sex ratio, because that was another factor that uh, that was also discussed on these blogs back in the mm-hmm. day. Like right now in the U.S., uh, and, uh, particularly among uh, like the under forty. 40- there are slightly more men than there are women that was not the case in the 60s there was there was a noticeably more women than there were men which obviously leads to a situation where men are competing more and more to you know because there's because they have to in order to in order to in order to get laid uh, but the culture of the the culture of the '90s and the 2000s was one where people went to bars. They were still sociable. Um, they were still willing to meet strangers. They were still willing to. They, they still had normal social braces, and that all started dying out when the when the iPhone came out. Hmm. I mean, I didn't, you know. I'm not the only person saying this and a lot of it is just kind of common knowledge now, but there was actually a, was actually a study uh, not too long ago that showed um, the rates of virginity among men and women over like the past few years Uh, for women. It's the rate of like virginity has remained flat, but for men, it took a huge increase in 2008 when the iPhone came out and what happened there is just that people became, became uh, a lot more antisocial. You know, I think this is a dynamic I described. This is something that Guy has noticed, uh, increasingly noticed in the late 2000s. Um, before the iPhone, you would make plans with your friends. Like you would say, oh, we're going to meet at 7 p.m. at X bar, you know, and if you can't make it, whatever, but like we're going to be there and that's it. It's like you had to make plans in advance and, you know, people were a lot more open then because you were going to the bar or wherever to to socialize but what happened after the iphone is like you'd have people go to the bar they'd like text all their friends excitedly like yeah come over here then like 10 people would show up and they just talk to each other or they'd just be playing on their phones and they wouldn't want to talk to anybody else and this just compounded into that whole culture just kind of fell away because it's, it's completely it, 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 how do yeah. how do Zoomers have sex? Oh, I mean, they the don't. the short. I was I <laughs> yeah. was about to make that joke, but yeah, basically Tinder, you know, OnlyFans, like the whole seduction community culture, PUA culture is just completely dead now, which is funny because people always accuse me of being claiming to be a PUA, which I've never claimed to be. I mean, I'm just a guy. Who, I'm just a guy who wrote about stuff that I found interesting. <laughs> gotcha. but you know, that's 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 life.
0: Yeah. So you would. Uh, well, first of all, I think that's a, a worthwhile tangent because uh, you know Dan and I. On our literature to Manos or Pipeline episode, we were going to talk about... We talked... We touched... Right, didn't we, Dan? Like, we touched a little bit on the way that technology and dating apps have sort of made a lot of... Even someone as, frankly, brilliant as Hartiste, even his advice is now a little dated because the culture changed right. so much, but... What we what you talked about there, Matt, is uh is pretty relevant. And not even just the dating apps, but even just the, the iPhone and the total sucking of any sense of serendipity out of life. You know what I mean? How how can you be a seducer, uh, within that? Yeah. Um. But so that's a worthwhile tangent. Uh, but also another thing to kind of unpack from what you said that you would differentiate uh, the manosphere proper from the sort of PUA community. I mean, as would I, but you, you, you know more about it than me. You would say the manosphere was kind of a was sort of tangentially related to that, but was something more specific than that.
1: Yeah, there was there was overlap, obviously, but like the manosphere was more. Like I said, it was fundamentally it was just guys trying to figure out how the world worked, which <clears throat> encompassed a lot more than women. That was just the starting point for a lot of people. But that's where you start getting into understanding things like you know, like the role of the Federal Reserve, yeah. or you know, the nature, or or the or the or, or reading Smedley, Smedley Butler's War as a Racket or something like that. It was a bit more. I, I I don't know if I would necessarily describe it as political because most pretty much all the guys I knew back then didn't vote but it was about kind of trying to understand the greater the greater dynamics of why society was the way it was and how to best navigate it whereas the seduction community was very narrowly focused oh you can't get chicks here's how you get chicks end of story and a lot of those guys just to 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 use a more esoteric phrase, they just completely lack the theory of mind. Um, if you've read um I have shamefully read both the mystery method and uh, The game. The mystery method the is is the mystery method was dated as soon as it came out. Um it's all this breathless, ah yeah, you can have beautiful women too. You can have supermodels, just just this very vague and just very vague advice written in the tone of like a super excited nerd who's just been handed a bunch of oregano but he's been told it's weed and now he's acting like it's <laughs> high something like that <laughs> yeah whereas the game the game by neil strauss is a bit more interesting it's a memoir of his time in the seduction community but um, he basically kind of all well, his his motivation is basically was, was the same as most guys like he was he couldn't figure out how to get laid you know he was coming off of a bad relationship and he gets involved with these guys and he kind of just goes through the sheer amounts of social dysfunction, the, the sheer amounts of dysfunction. These guys exhibited, you know, he, he moved in with a bunch of his PUA buddies in the, in a, uh, a mansion in Los Angeles and they called it project Hollywood. And they're all having these weird drama fallouts and, um, you know, dudes are threatening to kill themselves. And it's like, it's not, it's not a favorable portrayal of, of these people at all. It's like you, you read the game and, um, And your conclusion is like I don't want to be like these people at all They're fucked up Um, And Strauss is Strauss is not someone I would uh, consider A 100% reliable narrator Because he's always got to He himself has got a bit of that didacticism going on Just just this kind of squeaky uh, Attempt to remove himself He's trying to do like He's trying to plunge himself into like The the, uh, The currents of like a weird subculture But at the same time he's trying to wash his hands of it know he's like oh yeah i was involved with these guys but i'm not like them i'm better than that he's a journalist you know know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, he's a journalist that's a good way to describe it yeah and the and the novel and the novel ends with a you know the story ends with a fairy tale ending where he he marries one of uh courtney love's backup singers (laughs) uh who divorced him two years later that that part didn't make it into the the book um but he takes that. He took that approach with multiple subcultures. I also read his book *Emergency*, which came out in 2009, I believe. And again, it's the same deal. Like he suddenly wakes up and he's having panic attacks about the end of civilization, and then he becomes obsessed with uh, survivalism and prepping and getting us multiple citizenships and buying gold. But at the end, he you know kind of realizes, ah, oh, the world isn't going to end, and he just washes his hands of all these weirdos who he was pretending to befriend for the course of over the course of six months. Um, but to kind of circle back, um, yeah, the manosphere, the manosphere was obviously influenced by that, but the manosphere was, 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 was more normal dudes. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I gave Rouge as a sort of a an example of someone who was also very big in the manosphere at that time. Uh, Rouge was more of a, uh, I guess Roosh would go towards more towards at that time was more towards the PUA end of the spectrum, but he never called himself a PUA. He's just like, I'm a player. Like that was in part his appeal to a lot of people is that he went for starters, he went into like more analytical detail. Like he wrote bang, which was his, uh, his uh, Bible on picking up women. And he went through every detail, right down to how you should behave when you're getting the girls clothes off in bed, which is, you know, it seems weird, but it, it is a, it, it's more useful on a level than the, than the mystery method. And he doesn't, and he, and he's not a weirdo. Like he's a normal dude. Like he just, you know, uses normal terminology. Um, and his motivation was just that like, yeah, I was having trouble getting laid and I just went and, you know, I just went and drilled the books and figured it out. Um, but eventually a lot of it, um, a lot of the, a lot, what residual PUA influence was in the manosphere kind of filtered out over time, just because, Um, because of the social changes that you and I both mentioned, Matt, Mm -hmm. but also just because people just kind of got bored of it. You know, it's like, I've talked about this with Matt Lawrence and others. It's like, you know, once you've gotten to a certain, certain level with women in terms of like a certain level of sexual experiences, you just kind of, you just kind of stop caring. You know, it's like uh, Roosh, he wrote, he wrote game, which was like his final book on like meeting women that was back in 2018. And he said in the beginning that like, yeah, I've slept with tons of women over the course of my life, but, I can even remember the faces of more than like 6 of them because it's just like it's it's just sex it's boring. You know a girl's not going to stick out in your mind unless you actually loved her or she was completely insane or both. Uh so a lot of it was just a lot of it was just uh the 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 dying interest in 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 seduction as it were. The dying interest came up the, the the interest died off just because people just got bored of it like they moved on it's like okay yeah we figured out women um you know i'm getting i'm getting uh i'm getting laid as much as i want to or a lot of these guys actually got married um and uh have kids now and it's like okay what else can i do with my time oh let's go read up on the money power oh let's go let's go let's 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 go let's go look at some ancient anthropology books uh stuff like that (laughs) you know it's like people have real interests beyond uh Beyond just uh, trying to optimize their negs so that they can get uh, increase the percentage of going home with some slut, point 0.1%.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, but there is, but there even within within the the higher IQ, so to speak, and the more uh, sort of socio there, there are sociological insights to some of that stuff. And I guess that some for some people maybe it kind of grew out of that initial sexual motivation for, you know, learning how the world works, learning how women really are, that can grow. I we talked about the whole idea of the pipeline that can grow into different realms of interest, whether it's very political or whether it, uh, you know, is, you know, reading Celine and, you know, starting a small publishing house.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, Delicious Tacos, he doesn't talk about this explicitly but it's a pretty obvious theme if you've read the pussy. Like he starts out just a lot of the a lot of the stories of him hooking up with girls are in the beginning of the book, I know, and it's just like all this crazy stuff, you know. that he goes into one of my favorite stories is the one where he's talking about yeah, you know, my he's he's talking he's he's hypothetically talking to his neighbors like yeah, I wanted to jerk off to your tits, but you wouldn't sh- but you wouldn't leave your house, so I had no choice but to go down to the bad part of LA and buy some heroin off of a, off of a, off of a crack dealer and then smoke the heroin. And he's narrates this just deadpan. Like it's yeah. completely normal. Yeah. I can't <laughs> masturbate. I'm going to, I'm going to go shoot some smack. Um, but over the course of the book, like the tales of him hooking up with women, women just kind of drop off. And even in the end, like there's the one where he's like, he's the, there's the, there's the, section of the book where he's like yeah if you want to get good with women just you know music money or murder those are the only things they right. understand you know women think on human trash because i pay taxes and vote."
0: right right yeah i remember that that insight of his uh, and by the way we're trying to get tacos on the show so tacos if you're listening come on But i remember that insight it might come have been, on the on, show. It been a tweet it might have been in a book it might have been both where he talks about how we're just like and this this strikes this is maybe a good example of something where it's downstream from what would be a sort of PUA insight, but it's also like this profound Welbeckian insight into the way that women are, slash the way that society works. And uh, I just remember it was, uh, you know, they're, 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 they want the extremes. Either you got to be like on the street, like some insane heroin using guy, like that, that can be attractive to women, or you got to be like really, really filthy rich, but like just, yeah, tax paying middle-class guy with a nine-to-five, nine-to-six, nine-to-seven these days, uh, forget about it. Uh, yeah, or, it's, that... or, it's,
1: or, or it's like, you know, bronze Age pervert's quip. Like, in ten years, uh, women aren't going to be able to get off unless they're being trampled by horses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. No, there, there's, there's there are insights to that that go beyond, um, you know, how do I seduce women? They, there are insights for seduction within insights like that, but it's all, it goes beyond, it taps into something, you know, kind of dark about You know, the way that certainly the way that women are, but also the way that society works. And I think that's that's where the pipeline element comes in. You can follow these uh, trails of thought down down uh, sort of rabbit holes uh, and develop a, a much more a much a much more truthful and honest way of looking at the world.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, particularly now, given everything that's happened in the uh, past couple of years. I mean, God knows. It, I mean, God knows how 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 people are going to interact normally, how there's going to be any kind of normative relationship between men and women now. Um, when you have a good section of the population terrified to leave the house about a piece of cloth strapped to their face or, you know, rolling right. lockdowns or whatnots, everything being pushed online remote work you know i mean looking at it from my own perspective i mean i've kind of i've kind of i've kind of had it with women to be honest i mean that was another current in the manosphere if you hold the men going their own way or has it eventually degraded into big tau a lot of guys who just kind of swore off women um and um there was a lot of there was a lot of there were a lot of flame wars about that back in the old days you know it's like oh you big cows are pussies you know you're just virgins you can't get laid um but then after you know you know 20 some odd women later or a really couple of really bad relationships later later suddenly it clicks in your mind yeah women are more trouble than it's fucking worth <laughs> um, particularly particularly if um Particularly if you're doing something really stupid, like say you know you're a you're a mid tier e celeb and you start meeting women who are you know fans of yours, that's that doesn't end well. Um, but that doesn't end well for pretty much anyone. Which you can you can throw a dart at a you can throw a dart at a wall and hit a hit a guy who's you know had in this in this corner of the internet literary who's had who's had some issue with women in the uh, in the past five years.
2: I think tacos or someone mentioned that, uh, the secret today is fame plus game, but, um, what you, you just said would kind of, uh, you know, serve to belie that, I think.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think Roosh came up with that. He was like, yeah, in the future, you're going to need fame plus game plus money, which, uh, is, uh, again, kind of evident. If you see like the skyrocketing standards of, uh, you know, um, women is like yeah six you know six figures six feet six inches you know which to be perfectly honest you can't really blame them entirely for that Roosh wrote in the beginning of game and he actually he actually wants to explain this to me in person it's like the reason women kind of behave the way they do is because they have so much choice you know and he said like if it was reversed and men had as much power as women do in the current dating market every guy would be adolf hitler like, like, the, like day one, I mean, you would be awesome. Day one, imagine like you have all these women throwing themselves at you beautiful, ugly, old, young, etc. You know, just just imagine like, every either you guys, you post something on Twitter or Instagram, and you've got like 10 women within like 20 minutes, or even sooner than that, being like, Oh, you're so handsome, you're so beautiful, or you're 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 so cool, I, I want to meet you, whatever.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, and I hate to sound like a, I hate to sound like, I, I'll sound like a feminist when I say that, but like, you know, women who aren't interested in you for you, they're, they're just, they're just attracted to you physically or whatever, or you're bankroll or just, you know, they think you're witty or some shit. Or they think you're funny. Eventually you start rejecting them based on, based on absolutely ridiculous and arbitrary criteria. It's like the whole, it's like the whole meme ages ago of like, you know, her kneecaps are too sharp, two out of 10 guys would become like that yeah. they would um if you've got like supermodel quality women throwing themselves at you day after day yeah you're going to start to reject them. But, oh you've got a mole on your neck nah uh no you're you're a little too tall you're like a half inch too tall oh no i don't like your fake nails oh no i don't like your platinum blonde hair no oh i see you have got a little gray hair uh even though you're only 25 um no you're out um women are to a certain extent just responding to to the reality that they live in you exactly it's not, it's not it's not something you can really it's not something that's good but it's not something you can really get angry at them
0: over right i mean i think uh, obviously uh the, uh the manosphere and certainly the poa types are it's almost synonymous in the popular imagination with misogyny and is there some misogyny that emanates from those corners of the internet absolutely some of it's in humor but uh but but I think a lot of it is just that uh, they they're calling it like they see it. They're being honest about the way that women are, and all that they're doing is not pedestalizing them. I mean, it's basically the the PC take is that uh, men are bastards who have like ruined ruined the world and continue to ruin the world, and have you know they've been in power and they've started all these wars, and women are like the fairer sex, basically. Like that's basically the politically correct position. And I, mean, I think all that the manosphere says is no. Actually, there's a certain you know there, obviously that men and women play different roles historically and in society, but the women have their own uh, women have their own
1: base desires. They have right. their own demons. Exactly, you know, they're not perfect angels. I mean, I mean that whole corruption of the idea of the fairer sex that comes from Shakespeare, and it had nothing to do with an attitude. The reason in shakespeare's time women were called the fair sex because women generally have lighter skin than than men but are lighter colored skin because their skin is thinner which is obvious if you look you know mm-hmm. th- that holds across like races like you know black yeah. women typically have lighter skin than black men it's not a it's it's not a personality thing it's not like a racial thing it's just a reality of, of biology and somewhere yeah. along the line that got corrupted into uh that's a whole like Victorian thing mm-hmm. about how women are like, you know, pure and innocent angels. You know, that was a big motivation for that was a big motivation for women's suffrage. Uh, actually, you know, the idea that if we got women voting, then government and society would become more moral, you know, because, uh, you know, this is not this is not often discussed. But like first wave feminism was intimately tied up with prohibition. You know, right. the idea that. uh you know, we, you know women were just—they wanted to ban alcohol. The, temp, the women's temperance scene wanted to ban alcohol because all these men were loudish; and they were just getting drunk and they weren't taking care of their families. Which was there was some of that, obviously, but a lot of it was a, a lot of these kind of uh, kind of kind of uh, Puritans, Puritan type women who are just the same—the same people we have running society now, basically. Uh, the, yeah. the same people who just want to sanitize everything. Uh, and that oh, they were doing of alcohol 100 years ago and they're doing it with sex now and everything else and language people who just women who just are you know s- you know stick in the mud don't want to have any fun uh, someone like i mean you get someone like uh the famous uh temperance crusader carrie fisher you know who went around smashing up bars with a hatchet just, you know google picture her you can mm. see how much fun she was almost certainly <laughs> she, she was no fun to be around just you can just tell look at no the yeah, yeah, yeah
0: yeah no these these forces are still very active certainly um but yeah like that key manosphere insight is just understanding that yes women are as you know, men un, understanding accepting that women are as base as them i mean that's kind of the key insight
1: (laughs) i mean there's i mean it's there's a whole lot of double thinking propaganda going around like they go like that a lot of the a lot of like the 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 feminist and social justice agita against the manosphere kind of ramped up in like the mid-2010s which was by the point by which the manager pretty much died. But, uh, you know, they'd go and say stuff like, Oh, this is rapey, etc." All these feminists will complain about, Oh, this is rapey, rape this, rape that. And then, and then some lady will publish an article in Buzzfeed or whatever. I, I seduced my rapist, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> that's yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking, I'm not taking cues from you on anything. Hmm.
0: For sure. Well, Dan, wanna? I remember you. You had some questions about like uh, you're gonna ask Matt about like the, the lay of the land for for lit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So how do you see the uh, the future of Outsider Lit kind of unfolding? We we obviously have Terror House here producing uh, publishing a lot of great novels and you know uh, short stories and what have you. And uh, recently, I'm, I'm sure you saw that uh, Zero HP um, sold uh, a, a ton of uh, money worth of NFTs of his uh, his novel. And so, I'm curious, uh, what, what do you think the future has in store for Outsider Lite?
1: Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be a it's gonna be basically unstoppable force meets movable object in the form of we've got all these. I mean. I don't want to say I don't want to say things are good now with all the censorship going on and the fact that uh, cancel culture exists and people are hypersensitive. But in terms of like artistic achievements and artistic accomplishments right now, what's going on now is better at any point than I've seen during my adult lifetime. Um, In terms of all the great writers and artists and musicians coming you know out there you've got like on the music front you've got people like negative xp and uh you know Mm -hmm. eggy etc you know you've got uh you've got great you've got the number of great writers affiliated with terror house and other sites such as expat and misery is just too too many to list um you've got uh you've got new groups like the independent fiction alliance coming up just kind of ban publishers and writers banding together to kind of promote each other and fight censorship. Um, the issue I see going forward is um, there's always going to be cancel culture. Obviously there's always going to be ninnies who are not happy that uh, someone is uh, writing a, uh, writing a short story that has uh, tits in it. Uh, but um, and there's always going to be corporate censorship with the guards who uh, well, Amazon controlling what uh, can be published on their platform, et cetera. Um, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of great things. I mean, like expats have been doing some great stuff with their, with their poetry readings. you know, they've gotten, they've gotten heavy hitters like, you know, Curtis Yarvin and, uh, uh, Paul town to show up, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Um, I think, I think in the, I think in the near future, we, we really have the the chance to kind of start guiding the culture in uh, a way that wasn't possible 10 years ago, just because, um, we've, we've kind of advanced into a period in society where, Nobody believes what's going on in the mass media. Nobody believes what the government's saying. Um, and people are just hungry for an alternative. Um, and people are, I don't want to say people are more literate the, than they were 10 years ago. That seems that seems kind of a weird claim to make. But people are more interested in what's going, what, let's uh, say, so, what, say, Terror House is doing or what uh, a publisher like Expat is doing than they were 10 years ago. There's more of a space for um, these neglected writers, neglected artists, to get an audience, you know, this is, the, the time is kind of kind of right for this. You know, I mean, to kind of circle back to the Manosphere thing, the Manosphere was in many ways a victim of its own success. A lot of like the ideas and concepts that were bandied about by Hartis or Rouge or myself have just kind of become cultural white noise. Uh, I wrote about this to a certain. I wrote about this in the uh, the foreword I wrote to Matt Lawrence's book. Um, mm-hmm. you had, you, but you've, you've got like a popular, you've got like a, a knowledge of what's, go- guys are not clueless in the way they were 10 years ago about the nature of women. Like there's, there's obviously a lot yeah. of simping going on. There's a lot of, you know, social justice stuff, but the average guy's a lot more aware. Um, and even people who don't like the stuff are more aware of it. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got, you've got Rick and Morty making jokes about nagging and stuff. You know, the cultural consciousness is there. Uh, the space is the space is kind of opened up for kind of freed uh, people who are not interested in or not able to conform to the to the uh, PC center to to really express themselves and the uh, the means are there for them to get for to get an audience in a way that didn't exist uh, ten years ago. We've seen the bottom fall out of internet marketing, but for real writers who actually have things to say like this is a pretty good time to be alive
0: Hmm. that's definitely a hopeful way of looking at it for sure
2: yeah it almost seems like as the mainstream publishing and entertainment industry becomes more and more uh homogenous and politically on message as it were that uh, it creates, you know, more and more space for people who want to actually write uh, good fiction and produce good, you know, good entertainment to operate. For sure, well, a
1: ahead. lot of it is a lot of it is just that the mainstream is just very, very stupid when it goes it goes about these things. This is something I've written about a lot, but and I'm not. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's noticed this. A lot of woke literature, woke art, woke entertainment relies on really grimy old cliches about minorities, women, gays, et cetera. Um, I give it a, you can give it a major example. This would be like the first movie in the new Star Wars trilogy, you know, The Force Awakens. You know, you've got a, you know, you've got a prominent black character as does the main character, but his only character trait is cowardice. That's literally how black men were depicted in like the 1930s, like ooh, scaredy cat black guy who's afraid of the dark, etc. You know, the writers of that I guess thought they were being clever. They don't, they didn't realize that's one of the oldest racist <laughs> tropes out there. Uh, uh, then yeah. they went and repeated it in uh, feminist Ghostbusters a year later. Again, you've got a black character, a black woman whose only character trait is that she's afraid of everything. Um, you can extend the, You can extend this to say, you know, video games as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know if either of you are gamers, but uh, uh, you know, I was a big fan of like uh, the Mass Effect series um, in the late uh, late aughts, early twenty uh, tens. Um, the third game in this trilogy is roundly mocked because uh, that was when they started putting in a whole bunch of social justice stuff. You know, like there's a there's suddenly a gay character. You know, there's a there's like a Hispanic character and all this <laughs> stuff. But the issue isn't that the character's gay. The issue isn't that the character is Hispanic. The issue is that they rely on really shop-worn cliches. Like the Hispanic character in Mass Effect Three is just this—he's voiced by P- Freddie Prince Jr. because that's who I think of when I think Latino. <laughs> I think Freddie Prince Jr. Um, and the in his dialogue is just him, you know, being a meathead. He has no personality. All he does is sprinkle random Spanish words into conversation because that's how Latinos <laughs> act, right? That's how that's how Latinos act. They just they just catch. They just won't shut up about their abuelas uh way huevos rancheros etc no that's not how Latinos act that's how a, a white liberal from a from a 99 percent white zip code thinks Latinos yeah. act you know same thing like with the gate. yeah yeah exactly so <laughs> that's I think part of what's driving people away from this it's not like you know the you know the the, the woke people like oh you're just not happy that they are breaking stories about about p- people of color and uh sexual minorities no we're fine with that I mean uh, you know, I I, I publish, a, like I said, Terror House is not an ideological public uh, project. I published minority writers. I publish gay writers. I have pub- published a few trans writers. Um, I publish people who are, write good shit and it's entertaining. But what I don't like is this is this cardboard cutout. Is is what is, what passes for you know sensitivity and openness in woke culture is just boring boring cliches that yeah. uh, even a, sure. uh, a boring cliches that even a lot of like authentic racists
0: would resort to because they're just that insulting. Hmm. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Off topic slightly, but going back to what we were just saying earlier uh, and, and I know that you're, you're probably not the right person to ask about this, but actually, we would like to get Manuel Morero if I'm saying that right, on new right but do you know do you know what the story with the like expat obviously up there with terror house is like i think one of the most exciting you know small publishers kind of covering some you know outsider lit and some with legitimately dissident views they had yarvin coming to their events recently do you, I know you're not the right person to ask this, but I'm curious. Like, do you know what the story is with Expat? Are they older than Terror House? They're maybe a little bit less associated with Frog Twitter, but like associated enough. Like, uh, what's um, your experience working with them? Yeah,
1: I can't. I can't really speak for Manny, you know. And uh, I can, I, you know, I'll. Oh, but he would be a great person to have on your show. Yeah. Uh, but I think they've been around before us, but they kind of launched into prominence around the same time we did because they were not working the exact same angle, but there was a lot of overlap. You know, there's a lot of overlap, you know, a lot of, a lot of expats, uh, a lot of writers have, there's a lot of overlap between the writers we've published and the writers they've published. You know, we publish a lot of the same, the same people. Like, you know, they've, uh, one prominent example is uh, Eris. You know, Elizabeth Victoria Aldrich. Right. You know, she she published uh, "Ruthless Little Things" with uh, with Expat. It's a great book, by the way. And she's also written a ton for terror House. You know, yeah. it's, uh, but- we, we
0: mean to get her too, and I got to read "Ruthless Little Things." I mean, there's all these people, yeah, but yeah, definitely worse. getting Manny on. Like, we should try.
1: But yeah, like I'm not really the person to ask about that. You know, he's. Uh, they kind of but they kind of shot up into uh you know prominence around the same time we did and i, I love what they're doing you know they're they've the work the, you know manny's got his own aesthetic you know he's got his own people and they they just do great stuff you know plus there's a more direct connection in that uh you know calvin Westra, one of our founding editors is now an editor at expat so you know that's awesome yeah. you know eventually there's just going to be like this uh, gigantic like like the viewers universe kevin smith there's just going to be like this giant shared universe of terror
0: house expat in jokes for sure. Were you gonna say something, Dan? Sorry. Uh
2: no. Um. Uh...
0: Okay, cool. So I thought, you- <laughs> but no, no. Yeah, we definitely want to get um, Manny on at some point because yeah, I didn't mean to ask you about what expat's like mission is. It just I knew about Terror House first, and I was like, oh, there's actually this other publisher who who crosses over a lot, and I don't know. It's um maybe it's just worth touching on again. Briefly, it's kind of an interesting scene. Like, the, yeah, there's that dissident right crossover, but like, there's a lot more to it too. James Nulek being a great example. And he he did a blurb for uh, Dragon Day, like, um, you know, someone who's not remotely right wing, but he's just uh, Nine Banded Books is another. I'm sure, I don't need to tell you, Matt, about Nine Banded Books. They're a little bit of an older example of a publisher, Flueland, as you said. Um, Feral House, who I'm actually interested if, if you've been keeping up with how, how kind of cucked and woke Feral House has gotten. but what? What? Actually, no,
1: I haven't. I mean, I I, I hadn't followed them for a, for a long time. and Then, you know, I sort of looked into them again when Adam Carfrey died. But, right. Um, what exactly happened with them?
0: Well, I don't want to, you know, start any beef on this podcast with Feral House, but uh, they basically, uh, I mean, uh, how to even approach it? Basically, they, they put out a statement how they're trying to, Uh, they, they, they kicked off, uh, my friend David Cole's book, which, uh, that's a whole other story, but, um, they, they, they put a statement out like that they're trying to basically, they took the old, so first of all, first of all, I'm stumbling over my words here, uh, but all respect to Adam Parfrey, who's like, you know, legendary publisher, uh, and for people who may not know him, that I listen to this, uh, you know, he he was kind of part of that. Uh, he published the book Apocalypse Culture, sort of associated with like Jim Goad and Answer Me and Boyd Rice, like that sort of '90s um, transgress. Yeah, you talk about like transgressive lit, like that was it at the time, where it sort of ex- might have explored dissident, even dissident right ideas, but it was kind of in this this artsy thing. Uh, so so Adam Parfrey. Uh, I'm not doing justice with my description here. Anyone who's not familiar with his work should definitely look him up. But he's the founder of this publisher called Feral House. Uh, obviously, you know all this, Matt. I'm just explaining for for possible listeners. But basically, so th- traditionally, Feral House has this um, mission of public... Yeah, sort of like Terror House. <laughs> Feral House, Terror House. Uh, publishing the unpublishable. Exploring ideas that the mainstream won't explore. Like That's classic... Feral House, with them it was mostly nonfiction, but but you know if the shoe fits, it was exploring uh, dissident ideas, outsider artists, etc. And basically, um, yeah, they they published friend of mine, you know, dissident tacky mag writer David Cole. They they kind of got into some beef with him, they so they kicked his book off. But I'm not even responding directly to that. It's more that they have twisted the old um, Feral House mission statement of publishing the unpublishable, publishing, like, outsider ideas, and they've made it just your basic bitch woke mission where they're looking for people of color to publish, uh, you know, LGBTQ+. plus. They've, they've basically made that part of their mission statement, is that they're looking to... Basically, they have the same mission statement that, like, Warner Brothers now has, which is <laughs> that we're looking to enhance, you know, voices traditionally oppressed in the West, which you can see it's how it's, like, a clever, but actually not at all clever, uh, flipping and twisting of... The old feral, very good Feral House mission. So that was a tangent, uh, I mean, but that's what that's where Feral House is.
1: I mean, that's 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 a, that's a bit disappointing, but I'm not too surprised. I mean, <clears throat> one one publisher I haven't mentioned but probably should have that was also an influence on me starting Terror House was uh, timer Books uh, oh, sure. Giancarlo Di Trapano. He put out. He was a major influence on. Uh, uh, On uh, mid-2010s publishing culture, he put out so many great books like uh, Marie Calloway's uh, What Purpose Did I Serve in Your Life? You know, Scott McClanahan, the Sarah book, Clancy Martin's Bad Sex, you know, David Shapiro's uh, Supremacist. And the reason I have to say was is because um, Giancarlo tragically died earlier this year. Um, And since then, time with books, I mean, I'm not – I'm not throwing any shade here like like you know like you said Matt with fairhouse but Tyler books is effectively done um just because one of my friends described it like this literary publishers literary magazines are not something that can just be sold or flipped etc they're like they're like they're like man- manic pixie dream girls they're just something you quirky little things that you love for some inexplicable reason and a publisher, Publishers of these these small types, you know, Feral House, Terror House, Expat, uh, Tyrant, um, basically are extensions of the people who founded them and run them. You know, like Manny Morell is expat press. You know, Giancarlo was Tyrant. Adam Parfrey was Feral House. I'm Terror House, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 40, 50 years down the line when I pass away, you know, and Terror House is still around, you know, it's not going to be the same after i'm gone if i if i sold it today to someone else it would not be the same you know someone even if it was someone who was like a close friend and was like you know aligned with me in terms of of what we like it would just not be the same um so i mean ultimately i think that's a you know with feral house and tyrant you know the loss of their founders just kind of just kind of fundamentally changes the whole thing because there's just so much of an imprint of them on what the publisher does you know, like my, I ultimately, I, I ultimately curate everything that you know appears on Terror House. You know, I have Danny helping me with magazine submissions, but with regards to like the short stories and poems we publish, the books we pu- publish, that's all me. It's either stuff that you know I, I, I like everything obviously, but um, it's stuff that I think would be interesting to a, a wider audience, or stuff that just simply deserves to be out there. You know, there's, I, 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 I don't, I don't. Um, I, I don't have the ability to determine in advance which books are going to be successful unless, I don't know, someone on the level of BAP or Curtis Yarvin comes to me. It's like, yeah, I know your book will sell thousands of copies, but, um, but I sign books based on the basis of, this book is good. It deserves to be out there. Even if it's something that would only appeal to a small audience, it's a book that deserves to exist. Mm-hmm. That's something that uh, Chip Smith said years ago when um, he talked about his motivation for starting Nine Banded Books. and It's something I kind of keep to heart. You know, it's like the, the stuff we put out at Terror House, it may not always be the most, you know, broad in scope, you know, the most appealing to a wide audience, but stuff that I feel deserves to exist. It deserves to be read. It's something that deserves to be out there
0: right no and well speaking as a writer and speaking as a writer who was published by you it's like yeah you there's something to getting it out there to a publisher even a small publisher it doesn't even matter necessarily how much you sell uh, there's a certain legitimacy to kind of getting the you know the branded um you know publisher sticker on the back of your book that that is um, very validating, you know, as a writer, you know, in a way that, like, you know, obviously you want to sell as much as you can, but just knowing that it's not just something you put out there, you know, all by yourself, but rather that you're kind of part of a broader community of writers, the social yeah. dimension of art, I've talked about. Yeah, um, you, yeah.
1: you, you've you've been vetted basically. Someone else, uh, decided to take a chance on your work, which is which is, uh, you know, extremely validating I mean, you know, which is why, you know, publishers, small publishers and literary magazines still exist and are thriving in our current environment, even though theoretically, yeah, you can start a blog or you can start a, I guess, I guess, Substack is all the rage now. Mm-hmm. I never subscribe to anyone's Substack, by the way, but, uh, um, but yeah, you can start a blog. Yeah, you can have a Twitter account. Yeah, you can publish all this stuff through KDP, but uh there's you're never going to get the same level of validation that you will from having a publisher say your work is good and then put the resources forth to get it out there into the world. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's kind of like um, a, a good analogy would be like um uh, You know, there there have been some, I guess, libertarian types. You know, if you're familiar with Aaron Clary, he's another Manosphere figure. You know, he's a friend of mine. I'm not not throwing shade on him. But he's all like, when it comes to publishing and stuff, why don't you just do it on your own? Publish your own books. You know, you don't have to go through gatekeepers anymore. And it's like, yeah, gatekeepers, a lot of gatekeepers are bad. But the problem is self-publishing is always going to have a certain stigma to it. It's like you're never going to – I mean – I mean, there are, And I'm not saying all self-published writers are bad. I mean, we've praised a whole ton of self-published writers here. Rouge, Delicious Tacos, Bronze Age Pervert. But there's always going to be a, a, a just a niggling thing in the back of like, oh, you're not really a good writer. You're just doing this for vanity purposes. And publishers serve an important role in, in curating this content, getting it out there, and also just taking a load off the writer. Because a lot of writers, they don't want to, you know, like hustle with like, a million tweets a day and writing two blog posts a day and building up a brand. Like they're like some, like, 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 like their breakfast cereal or something. A lot of people just want to write. And that's, and that's where also where publishers come in, you know, like as a publisher, as the guy, as the editor of Terra house, I'm the one who does all that stuff for you. I'm the one who gets your book out there. I'm the one who raises awareness of it. You know, me and Matt Lawrence are the other people who make it professional. You know, we edit out your typos. We, we, you know he he does a really nice professional layout you know he does the cover art um you know which is stuff that um you'd either have to do on your own if you self-published or you'd have to outsource it and depending on the quality like if you wanted to self-publish at the same level of quality that Terror House puts in into uh our books you'd have to spend upwinds of two thousand three thousand dollars you know so we take yeah. that we take that off of you um you know obviously it's not a it's, it's 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 obviously we're not doing it one hundred percent out of the kindness of your heart. We're hoping to make a profit off of your book. But it's a mutually beneficial relationship where we put we help you get your work. We, we make something, you make something, everyone comes away happy.
0: Right. Well, let me give my testimonial then. I mean, look, I, I obviously again, I'm just gonna keep repeating it ad infinitum, I guess. I obviously published a book with Terror House and it was it was a great process. I you know, I sent my submission in, you know, you guys took care of everything. But, contrast that. I'm, I'm helping my friend Robert Stark put his uh, sequel... He he, he wrote he published a book that a lot of people on our corner of the internet are familiar with called Journey to Vapor Island in 2017. Good book. Um, somewhat notorious, but people basically dug the book and he's, he's putting out a sequel now. And, you know, he's got a decent following on his own, so he's not necessarily looking to go for... He's basically going to self-publish. I'm trying to help him with this. I cannot figure out the formatting thing for the life of me like i'm I'm trying to learn because for my own purposes you know if i'm ever like helping you know a publisher or helping someone like it's something i want to know how to do but my gosh is it hard so that's just my testimonial having oh christ yeah yeah, i mean i
1: i tried to matt lawrence does our books in adobe InDesign, which you really need to in order to get a really professional a, a, a book a layout that's as quality as you can get from a uh, an official published book like yeah if you can you can go to KDP and just up he tried to teach me to to learn it one day and well first off the program my computer's so old that uh indesign just runs like like uh like molasses uphill in january in alaska but there's all yeah. this html coding all these features etc just, just looking at it gave me a headache so um, I'm perfectly happy to let him let him do that. You know, same thing with the cover art. I have no, I mean, my, my aesthetic sense when it comes to art is like, oh, that pretty, me pretty, me like, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So when it comes to cover art ideas, I'll basically, I just have him read the book um, and come up with an idea on his own because he's a professional artist. Like he knows this stuff inside and out. You know, like, we'll bounce ideas off each other, obviously, but like I give him creative control just because it's something that it's something I just don't know. You know, there's a ton of, there's, I, I know my limitations in life. You know, I'm a good writer. I'm a good editor. At least I think, I hope I am. Um, That sounds really narcissistic when I say it, you know, I know my, I know my strengths in life. I am not an artist. I am not a graphic designer. I wouldn't, if you had me put together a book cover, I wouldn't know the first place to start. So when it comes to things I don't know how to do, I get experts. I get people I can trust, people who put out quality work, and I just let them do it. With uh, uh, you know, just enough oversight to, yeah, here's what in, I need you to do. Go do it. Um, and, you know, Matt Lawrence and I can do that just because we've been friends for over a decade. We've worked together tons of times, so even before Terror House. So, like, we just know each other's pro- working processes inside and out. Mm-hmm. If you can get, if you can establish that kind of working relationship with someone, you're you're going to go real far.
0: Yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, as we I guess move towards the end of the conversation, um, is there anything upcoming that you have, Matt, or uh, yeah, you personally, or but you know through Terror House as well that you yeah, you want to promote?
1: I mean. I have been working on a poetry volume on and off for like the past year. Um, I was hoping I'm like 99% of the way done with the first draft. Um, it's taken, it's, it's taken a while just because, uh, you know, I've got work and other things to do, but also because I'll admit it, I'm lazy sometimes, you know, like um, there's a, um, there's a, there's a quote that uh, I've, I've, I've known writers who would brag about like, oh, it took me five years to write this. Oh, it took me 10 <laughs> years to write this. And uh, uh, Jordan Castro, the editor of uh, Tyrant Books, his uh, online magazine, he had a great quote once, he said, if you if you claim it took you 10 years to write a book all you're really saying is that you're an alcoholic Uh, so so i guess i'll 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 just make that joke when this book when this book sees the light light, sees the light of day it's like yeah i worked on this for like two years but like most of the time i was just i was just playing video games so maybe i worked on Hmm. it three weeks tops but no no it's a joke i'm i'm i i've if you've I've actually already debuted one of the poems. Um, mm-hmm. If you listen to Sean Kilpatrick's podcast, Shucks About Everything, um, I did a reading of uh, one of the poems on uh, an episode back in March. I think the, yeah, if you can search for it on YouTube, um uh, it's uh, the episode it's episode number four love with uh, matt forney and uh, chris moran and chris moran is one of our writers as well he uh we published his poetry volume psyche inspector uh in september right so that's a yeah g- that's a great book Go so check that out well in terms of upcoming projects with terror house um i've got two i wanted to talk about um Black Friday next week, um, at least I assume it's next week, depending on when this is put out. But we all know what Black Friday is. We'll be releasing our next book, which is uh, Full Moon Reaction by Justin Jeffrey, which is uh, a, quarter, a sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, examination of uh, culture uh, and American history from a uh, shall we say a John, a John just hillbilly perspective. That's the best way <laughs> to describe it. Um, Justin's a really talented writer. We'll be putting up some excerpts on the site next week. We'll be having running a print interview of him. It's just a book that's difficult to describe, which is, you know, not the greatest way to sell a book, but when you read the excerpts, when we put them up on the site, you'll be able to see that. Um, also next week, we'll be in cooperation with um, Hans D Schatz, who is a, uh, um, notable sci-fi writer, and he also contributed to um, uh, one of our books earlier in the year, "Ending Bigly: The Many Fates of Donald okay. Trump," which is an oh, yeah. anthology book that's uh, about the about the fates uh, the the fates our uh, for the forty fifth president could uh, could or could potentially suffer. It's a very entertaining book. Um, in cooperation with him, we'll be running a Black Friday sale on all of our books. So you know if there's yeah. a if there's a title in our library uh, paperback or ebook that you've just wanted to get but you were waiting for a sale you know your your time has come you know I expect I expect to see all of you just just clicking on the site just sale here sale here you just gotta and I, I expect to see thousands of email notifications uh, new sale recorded, new sale recorded but yeah, uh, all of our books will be on sale along with the release of full moon reaction next week uh, Black Friday week, Thanksgiving week. Um, and in December, this is still, we're still working out an exact release date for this. We are publishing a memoir called uh, In the Shadow of the Belt by Serge Clause. Um We have, ser- we serialized excerpts of this book on Terror House Magazine back in 2019. Um, Claus is one of our longtime writers. He's a Russian who writes a lot about his experiences growing up. contemporary russia and ukraine you know he's really really interesting guy you know um i i've always had an interest in that kind of uh in that kind of literature i mean i grew up reading the exile you know mark ames john dolan uh uh, edward limanov who's fantastic um search claus's work is very much in that vein in the shadow of the belt is his memoir of growing up in the this uh, Soviet era, Ukraine in the 1970s. And basically all this hijinks he, he got up to, uh, got up to. Like he, I mean, I don't want to judge Serge, but he seems to have run, when he was a kid, he seems to have run into people having sex in the woods an awful lot. And <laughs> <laughs> there's another chapter, and I'm not spoiling it because we've published these excerpts on the site. There's one chapter where he starts a pirate radio station in his parents' house and the, uh, uh, the NKVD show up to investigate, and, <laughs> um, just really crazy stuff like that. He's just a really good writer. Um, this book has been a long time coming, just because um, it was difficult getting a uh, reliable translator to. Because uh, Claus uh, has pretty good English, but I wanted the the published book to have like just it had to be immaculate. Because there's a lot of uh, you know his his English is uh, pretty good, but it's not the best. Um, I'd like to thank Dani for that. She's she's uh, in the process of translating the book. Um, and making it as good as it can be. So we're hoping to have that out by Christmas, um, In the Shadow of the Belt by Search Clause. And we've got a ton of other great books coming up in 2022. Um, you can go to the Terror House Press website and see our tentative schedule. And it's always very tentative. We're kind of, Terror House, for better or for worse, is very fly by the seat of our pants kind of kind of deal. It's like usually our time, lead time from um, getting a finished manuscript to publishing a book um is usually less than a month like there's actually been there's actually uh, one book i forget the name which one was it oh it was specters of saturn we turned that book around in four days wow. um and it turned out pretty well I, I i might add so that's one that's one thing i you know i, I i'm really i'm really happy uh, we can do um thanks to matt lawrence we can just turn around books really really mm-hmm. rapidly
0: yeah no it's excellent well when, uh, it come this Black Friday sale, I will certainly be promoting my book. Um, also, it feels like a reasonable time to add this, like, uh, I don't, I don't think a lot of my followers necessarily follow me, like, only as a writer, I'm also doing this podcast, but I, I, I will just throw it out there to put it into the world. I have, I you know, for a while after finishing Dragon Day, I'd sort of, uh, n- not taken a break from writing, but I've been writing s- different sorts of things, but uh, I do kind of, I am starting to put the pieces together of kind of what I want like, not even necessarily my next novel. Maybe it'll be a short story. Maybe I'll publish with Terra House. But um, I, I would just kind of throw that out there so people can hold me accountable because it's something I w- I, you know, I want to keep writing, and keep writing in this scene. Like, hopefully twenty twenty two, you'll be seeing some new stuff from me. Um, it'll be on his. It'll be on his
1: OnlyFans. It'll be on <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you know, Dan, obviously they give you a chance to plug your book as usual. I mean, you're
2: definitely, yeah. so uh, I, I'm going to join you with writing my second novel in the new year. My first novel, Nutcranker, I uh, am shopping around for a publisher, but um, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, pretty happy with uh, the way it turned out. And uh, I'm jumping into the next one. I have a few good ideas. And um, we're psyched.
0: Yeah. No. As Matt said earlier, I think it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good time to be a sort of writer or a publisher at our level. So. Uh.
1: Yeah. I mean. I mean. And I don't want to. I don't want to commit myself to anything just because plans are always in flux. But who knows? Maybe in 2022 there might be a Terror House poetry reading. Um, right. Or maybe I. Awesome. Or, may, or, may, or maybe I'll be making the rounds of some poetry readings. Like you'll just you know oh there'll be one in L.A. and oh this is a hey it's that Matt Forney guy.
0: Right. Well, dude, I mean, like, uh, I'm not that I'm like an event planner, but you know, I, I've lived in LA a little while, so be in touch with me about that. I would love to love to put something together like that IRL. All right. Well, unless either of you have anything else to add, I think we can pretty much wrap it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't have anything else to add, but for those of you, the, the people who don't know where you can check out terror house, it's terror for our books. Um, go to terror house magazine, Mag.com. Uh, that's our literary magazine we publish at least one new thing every day usually two we usually have a short story in the morning and then in the afternoon we'll run some poems something shorter something breezier you know it's it's timed and scheduled that you can read it at work you can read it on the uh you can read it on the bus on your phone um you know it's stuff that maybe you wouldn't want your mother your mother, be looking over your shoulder, but like we don't post any nudie images or anything like that. You know, we're not, we're not prudes. It's just, I don't want, the last thing I'd want is for you to get in trouble because uh, a picture of a naked woman's popped up while you were on the Metro or something. Uh. Uh, but yeah, yeah. You can check us out there. You know, we publish a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff um from a lot of different, uh, a wide range of writers, you know, if uh if you're all about the social medias, um, you can follow us on Twitter at, t- at twitter.com slash terrorhouse mag, Instagram.com slash terror house mag, if that's your thing. If you're if you're on telegram because you're afraid of the government, uh, we're at t- t.me slash terror house. And we also have our own podcast, Terror House Radio. Um, it's a it's a live stream right now because uh, you know, that's what the kids like. Mm-hmm. Um, but Terror House Radio generally airs every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern 4 p.m. Pacific um, we do our own interviews you know and we also just have some shows where me and Bryden just uh, you know insult each other and get drunk so <laughs> it's, it's a good it's, it's it's good fun all around
0: yeah no um, Terror House Radio is definitely a great podcast <laughs> uh, I've been a guest on in the past and yeah we always worth a listen so not only read Terror House titles but also listen to the podcast and uh, with that I think we're ready to close this